RadioInfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matches in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close, if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, T.J. Reed. Yes, we are back with another edition of the only digital radio show that is devoted exclusively to those hounds, those pooches, those doggies in college football and in the pros. I am your somewhat capable host of Alphabet 2 for 3 week last week on Three Dog Thursday. Thank you very much, Texas Longhorns. Thank you very much, Seattle Seahawks, who I thought would win against uh, the Rams, but they didn't quite pull it out. They did still cover. So uh, I'm somewhat capable. I I have the very capable senior handicapper and writer from VegasInsider.com, Mr. Kevin Rogers, who had the Nebraska Cornhuskers last week with the Wisconsin Badgers, and they got the late cover despite the the huge line favoring Wisconsin-Nebraska came through. So, Kevin, it's good to have you back for another week and good to get into some more picks. How are we feeling? Feeling good. Um, I did like Nebraska a lot, and the win's a win, I guess, no matter how you cut it. You know, uh, and, and they scored and they hung with Wisconsin. I just figured it was a lot of points, and that worked out. The NFL didn't work out too well for me, but uh, another week. And uh, I think after this week, what, we're pretty much halfway done with the college football season, so it went pretty fast. Yeah, it has so far. And, look, you uh, we'll talk more in the in the final segment about the NFL. You had the Miami Dolphins. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. They were looking really good at up 17 nothing against Cincinnati on the road. Uh, but that's the reason why you got to see these things all the way through to the final game and the uh, and the final uh, the final quarter the final whistle. So, uh, in any event, I'll be anxious to hear uh, how many and in which underdogs you have for this week, including for the pros, in a little bit. Uh, the Texas game. I did have the Longhorns. That's now six years in a row that Texas has been the underdog, at least a five point underdog. Six years in a row in the rivalry game with Oklahoma. They've covered all six times and now won in three of them. What did you make of that game? Great comeback by Oklahoma. Don't sell them short, but what did you make of that game and Texas's win? You know, you look at the Longhorns, and they had a really bad start to the season against Maryland that it just was an awful game they played. And since then, you know, even they had a bad first, almost first half, first about 27 minutes against USC, that they've come back very nicely. They, they really have. And this is a team that was expected to do big things in the Big 12. We see how competitive the top is in that conference. And for Longhorns to, to pick up some wins the last few weeks, beating TCU, beating Oklahoma, you know, giving up all these points to Oklahoma, but still outscoring them and winning that game, it, it's impressive. It really is. And Tom Herman's turning the corner now in Austin with this Longhorn team that, you know, the top of the conference, West Virginia, Texas, and you have Oklahoma now with that one loss. Oklahoma State is still in the mix. But, you know, for the Longhorns, you got to give them a lot of credit for this. And, you know, they're getting good quarterback play, and they're doing what they need to do, and they bounce back nicely from that opening day loss. So, really, this Texas team right now, you got to say that they are coming back to national relevance. 
Well, and uh, I'm going to ask one of our guests, and we've got a couple of good ones coming up. Matt Zimmick, who's been a longtime college football writer, will be with me. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the evaluation of the draft prospects and how the college season has gone so far from that standpoint with Joe Marino from the Draft Network. And Joe's got great insight on the quarterbacks in college right now and evaluating them. We'll get some underdog picks out of those guys. But in, in talking with them, I, I want to find out what they think, but I want to find out what you think first. Did this this loss damaged Oklahoma greatly for the college football playoff. Do you believe it's a foreshadowing, Kevin, that they may take a second or a third loss in the Big 12 with games looming for them? How damaged are the Sooners coming off the Red River rivalry game? Well, now you got the one loss. And when you look at the four, Alabama's probably a lock. I think it's fair to say. You would think Georgia would be in that discussion. And, you know, from there, Ohio State, you would think, and then even Clemson. So really, and those are the four teams that we saw last year, that, you know, for every year we think there's always going to be a surprise team, that as long as everything holds up for these teams, that you'll have the same four in there, and it's going to be very hard for Oklahoma, really, unless they run the table, obviously, but unless they run it, that I don't know if they could jump any of those teams. And we saw Alabama with one loss was in there last year. So, Really, for Oklahoma, it was a damaging loss. And, you know, you see these other teams that are out there that are national powers. Obviously, LSU took a hit with their loss to Florida last week. Uh, if they had any shot, maybe to be in that top four. But for Oklahoma, yeah, that really did hurt that you score all those points and you still can't win that uh, they'll probably be staring at a really good bowl, but just not playing for the national championship. Well, we know for sure that if they win out, hypothetically, it's a strong enough conference and they would have to go through West Virginia at least once in that mix. If they win out, they would be in great shape to be in the playoff according to what everybody else does. And you didn't even mention Notre Dame there. Notre Dame took down Virginia Tech. I had the Hokies last week for Three Dog Thursday purposes. I was looking good in the first half, but Ian Book and Notre Dame stomped on the accelerator in the second half and... We'll see if Notre Dame can make it to the end unbeaten uh, as well. We're going to get into the underdog predicting business now. Each of us are going to have two college underdogs. I want Kevin Rogers, senior handicapper, VegasInsider.com, to kick things off. Where do you want to go for an underdog for this week, sir? I'm going to start in the ACC. I'm going to go with the Duke Blue Devils. And I understand they're a bit of a public underdog this week, and that's fine. But, you know, when you look back at it, you know, Duke just lost to Virginia Tech. That was after Virginia Tech had lost to Old Dominion. So they bounced back nicely. They really pounded Duke. So Duke should be pretty focused going into this game. They have a couple underdog wins already on the road, beating Northwestern and beating Baylor. So those are a couple uh, nice victories that they had. And you look at Georgia Tech, they started off the season a little slow. They, the last two weeks, put up what, over 60 points against Bowling Green and Louisville. That's great, but those two teams are terrible. And Bowling Green is horrible defensively. Louisville, we saw what happened. He had the Florida State game and that meltdown. Louisville is just bad this year. That's not to take away from Georgia Tech. Those are good wins. But now Georgia Tech just laying about a field goal at home to a Duke team that should be pretty focused after a poor performance. And the Blue Devils have had some success against the Yellow Jackets the last few years. I think that Duke pulls out the win. Well, and I, you know, I, I'm going to back you that I was behind Georgia Tech in the game with Clemson and they were awful. Uh, in that one, I saw them earlier in the year against USF where they were able to get that triple option going against the Bulls, but 
They gave up the two big kickoff returns in that game in Tampa. Uh, They couldn't stop Blake Barnett and USF's pass game in the second half. So give uh, give credit where it's due uh, to uh, to what David Cutcliffe has done at Duke. So I'm interested to see if they can get it done in Atlanta. And I'm not so sure that Georgia Tech's also got an injury to the quarterback, to Quan Marshall, in that game that they've had to contend with as well uh, for the Yellow Jackets. So Kevin will go with Duke as the first of our underdogs. All right, so you took the Duke Blue Devils, Kevin Rogers, for your first underdog. I'm going to go with two college underdogs as well. And I, I love the alma mater this week, the Memphis Tigers. Da, 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 go Tigers, go. The Tigers playing host to UCF. You may call me crazy, Kevin, because they lost to Tulane a couple of weeks ago in American Conference play. But the Memphis Tigers back home off an easy win over uh, the UConn Huskies. UCF, the, the nation's longest win streak, 18 consecutive games. High-powered offense. Great quarterback play from McKenzie Milton as a dual threat, throwing and running. Something just says to me, though, the Tigers at home getting four points. I even have a little nugget. You love my nuggets, do you not, Kevin Rogers? Whenever I come up with some stats here and there, you want to know I, about I do. you want to I know do. you want to know about Memphis being a home underdog as they are right here. The last two times they've been a home underdog last year against Josh Rosen and UCLA won the game. Home underdog against Houston to end the 2016 season won the game outright. This is the third time now under Mike Norvell that they have been a home underdog, third time in a row. I'm going to go Memphis Tigers against UCF. Do you have a thought about the Knights? You may want to go against me here, but do you have a thought about the Knights being able to run the table again and get all the way through unbeaten and have a shot at the college football playoff? Can Memphis derail them? This is their first true road test that they've had in like six games. What, what about UCF and their chances to go unbeaten? What say you, Kevin? I mean, I, I could see UCF getting tripped up in one of these games. And obviously, you know, Memphis is a very good team. You know, that Navy game, they should have won. So, I mean, this Memphis team can obviously compete with them. I mean, for UCF, again, like we talked about before with Oklahoma, UCF can run the table, but you still got four excellent teams you have to jump. So it really is going to be hard for UCF to make it into that top four unless three of those teams lose. Like, there's no way – you go undefeated and they go undefeated and you're going to top them. So it's not going to happen. They just, they need all the help they can get if they want to get the top four. I will be fascinated to see where they put UCF if they are undefeated in a couple of weeks in the initial rankings of the college football playoff. Because remember a year ago, Kevin, last year's last year, they were hovering while undefeated at the beginning of the playoff rankings around 20. And in that case, they obviously had to overcome 15, 18 teams to get into the top four. Uh, In this case now, I I could totally see if they beat Memphis at Memphis, strong road win as that would be, they may enter the playoff fray at somewhere around like number 8 or 9. They're currently number 10 in the AP poll. At 8 or 9, they would have a chance if there's losing in front of them. You're right, there's going to have to be losses in front of them, but they would have a chance to maybe enter the playoff at 8 or 9, where last year they absolutely did not have the chance as, as far back as they were at least to begin the process and jump that many teams. One more, again, because of Hurricane Florence, and we should make mention here at the time that we're taping midweek, the panhandle of Florida, the Gulf Coast of uh, of Mississippi, Alabama, panhandle of Florida, dealing with Hurricane Michael on its way. Uh, and, and again, safety is a, a first and foremost. Kevin and I both live in the state of Florida. This hurricane nowhere near us, but headed to another part of the state in the Gulf Coast. 
Remember, Hurricane Florence wiped out UCF's game at North Carolina, Kevin. They haven't been out of the state of Florida because they got an unexpected bye week. They haven't been out of the state of Florida in six weeks because they played UConn at UConn. They've played four games at home with the unexpected bye. This is the first time in six weeks they've ventured out of the Sunshine State to play this game against Memphis. So let's see how they do with the Tigers coming up in that one. All right, so there's an underdog for each of us. Where do you want to go next in college football with an underdog? dog well i like to make crazy picks sometimes and why should i change now so i'm gonna go with conference usa the rice owls getting 16 and a half at home against uab and that and that is a large underdog against what is a pretty good uab team what what's the rationale here between but you know you got several games you could take a home underdog with rice significantly what are you liking about this game well, UAB's coming up a couple nice wins the last uh, two weeks. And, you know, last week came up with a nice road win at Louisiana Tech. And I just look back, and UAB just restarted their program last year. They've been a road favorite twice. And they lost to Coastal Carolina, and they lost to Charlotte last year in overtime as a road favorite. And they are laying a lot of points. This Rice team isn't good. I know they're not. But at the same time, what I say all the time, it's about situation, not about exactly who I think is better. It's about the situation for what we're dealing with. And, you know, for this Rice team, you know, yeah, they're they're not good. They have one win against Prairie View or they didn't cover in, in the opening week. I just think it's more of a fate of UAB. And they've had a couple nice wins in a row now the last few weeks. They also had a, a back-and-forth game with Tulane. And uh, you saw that Tulane team and what they did in Memphis. So, you know, I think that UAB just laying this many points on the road is just really asking a lot of them to cover. I think that Rice can at least hang in this one. All right. So, uh, yeah, UAB bringing that football program back in Conference USA play. And we'll see if the Rice Owls have something for them. It's kind of been topsy-turvy in Conference USA where Florida Atlantic was expected to dominate. They already took an early season loss. Middle Tennessee is supposed to be one of the top teams in this conference, the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee every year. And so uh, they play at FIU, at Florida International this weekend, too. So a Conference USA hound. Oh, a hound dog for Kevin Rogers on Three Dog Thursday. This is a game that I want your feelings about to an extent here. Wisconsin and Michigan. I saw this immediately jump off the page at me, Kevin Rogers, as a college underdog, with Michigan opening as a seven or eight point favorite. It is held that way midweek. Now, Jonathan Taylor in the good run game against Wisconsin. I know you went against the Badgers last week uh, when taking the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and, and Jonathan Taylor had to help put that game away in the fourth quarter with a long touchdown run. But Wisconsin going against Michigan, a, a team that I don't know how good they are. They lost early in the year to, to Notre Dame. They've played bad teams like Nebraska and Maryland at home. This is a national television ESPN game that is coming on Saturday night. I'll take the Badgers at the big house and gladly take the points. D- do we really believe in the Michigan Wolverines here? What do, what do we think about the Michigan Wolverines and, and Jim Harbaugh's team? Well, when you look at this team with the with the Badgers, first of all, that Wisconsin, I talked about them against uh, Nebraska last week, and they, you know, jumped out to a nice lead. Nebraska hung around a little bit, and then Wisconsin pulled away. They didn't get the cover. But I look at Michigan, TJ, and this Michigan team, since losing to Notre Dame in the opening week, they've come back really nicely. But here's what we talked about with Michigan this whole year, that – 
what are you going to do against the elite teams in the Big Ten? That you can beat all of these Illinois and Northwesterns and all these other teams convincingly. What are you going to do against the Ohio States and the Wisconsins of the world? That's what kind of scares me with Michigan, that until they prove they can get that big win against a team like that, it's tough for me to back the Wolverines. And again, a three-game stretch here for them. Michigan playing Wisconsin, playing Michigan State at Michigan State, and Penn State over the next three games. Penn State uh, obviously off the heartbreaking loss to Ohio State, still has Big Ten title game aspirations. So too does Wisconsin. They have the out-of-conference loss to BYU, but they don't have a Big Ten loss yet. So that's the game at the Big House. A lot of attention around that one. We'll see how it goes for the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, one more for you before we get out of here on the college, and we got our guests coming up. Matt Zimmick will be with us. Joe Marino will be with us uh, talking about different facets of college football and the NFL draft evaluation process, et cetera, a little bit later on here on Three Dog Thursday. Alabama, they steamroll Arkansas last week. I mean, they look as as invincible as anybody in recent college football history looks. They're, again, a 28-point favorite at home with Missouri. Kevin, give me some perspective. I know when we get to an Auburn Iron Bowl, the LSU game, because they can play well on defense, the Auburn Iron Bowl, and even an SEC title game, they're going to get more competition. But this is crazy right now, how they are beating every team by 30, 40 points, not even being challenged. Yeah, and you know what, too? It's almost like you can't take Alabama just blindly now because the last few weeks they haven't covered. They didn't cover against Texas A&M. They didn't cover against Arkansas. And they also been covering as Louisiana Lafayette um, a few weeks ago. But, you know, at the same time, this is a team that can throw for 310 yards and a half. And Missouri's a team that can definitely score. They hung with Georgia a few weeks ago as a home dog. And Missouri's coming up a tough game in South Carolina last week. But, you know, for that's the biggest problem is that Alabama can jump out to a huge lead. And then Missouri just, you know, it can score points. They have a good quarterback in Drew Locke. But Alabama can win that game 41 to 20, you know, sub 48 to 24, and they still don't cover and they're still dominating them. So that's kind of, again, the issue with these big spreads with Alabama is like the Patriots of what, 2007 when they went 16 and 0, they just kept jacking the point spread up. And you say, yeah, they're going to keep scoring these points, but what if, you know, you're laying 20 and you win the game by 17? You're, you're not covering, you're dominating, but you're not covering. So it's just hard, really, to, to bet these Alabama games right now. Well, and they scored on the first play of the game last week in Fayetteville. I mean, like in every one of these games, they score one or two quick touchdowns, whether it was against Texas A&M or beginning of the year against Louisville. They just seem to, to blitz you. We'll see if they have any competition from Drew Locke in Missouri in this game to keep up with them and score with them. Uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa looks fantastic. And Alabama looks unbeatable, but we still got a whole season to go. Kevin, stand by. We got NFL underdogs coming from you a little bit later on in the show. Some NFL conversation. Again, special guests coming up straight ahead. You have found us, whether through Radio Influence, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. It is Three Dog Thursday. More coming up. We do roll on, and we're going to keep with the college football theme. I have been uh, anxious to get a chance to get this guy on Three Dog Thursday to talk some college football, drop some knowledge, 
just because it's not all about the South, where Kevin and I are based here doing Three Dog Thursday, but there's actually good football that goes on like west of the Mississippi and west of the Rocky Mountains, and that's where Matt Zemick is actually based. He's in the Pacific Northwest right now, and he's going to have some insight for us on all kinds of college football. Now, Matt also does some freelance work, writes his own stuff, but does some freelance work for Florida Football Insiders. Uh, com as well, and has written some uh, on a couple of different subjects that I want to pick his brain about. But first of all, welcome. Good to have you. And, and I know this is your wheelhouse and one of your loves, college football, so I can't wait to talk to you about it. Well, it's great to be on here, TJ. Thanks for having me. And yes, I, I've been, I was a columnist at College Football News from 2001 through 2013 and then hopped to a few other media outlets in recent years. So covered the sport for nearly two decades. Uh, it is one of my foremost loves, absolutely. And there is a lot to love uh, about this. And we certainly saw a wild weekend last weekend, uh, including the Texas-Oklahoma game that we've already been talking about here on the show. What a tremendous rivalry game that is. And Texas knocks off the Sooners. Hey, give me a quick opinion, a quick take. A take. Uh, is that a foreshadowing that Oklahoma may go down another time, two more times before the end of the year? Does that wake the Sooners up, specifically after they fired the defensive coordinator? How about this with uh, uh, Mike Stoops being fired and a new defensive coordinator for Lincoln Riley's team? Can the Sooners bounce back and still be a playoff team? Do you believe they will be, or is there another loss or two still in their future? I think the uh, road trip to TCU, which is coming up pretty soon, that's going to be the pivot point for really for both of the teams in that game. I think if Oklahoma can get past TCU with a victory, uh, the rest of the road ahead looks pretty good. But uh, if TCU uh, rallies around the flag uh, and ambushes the Sooners there, then it could go off the rails. So that, that, that really is a game with massive significance in the larger Big 12 picture, and that will determine how Oklahoma's season goes. Okay, so speaking of significance, I'll immediately turn it right back to the South, like we've been talking about in the Southeast and the Florida-LSU game. I know you wrote about this game in advance and also after it was done for FloridaFootballInsiders.com. That was a knockdown, dragout, as advertised, SEC kind of rock'em, sock'em defensive game in Gainesville. Give me a thought or two on the Gators after the loss to Kentucky, have now won three in a row at home. What did you see last weekend? And that's going to kind of morph into a challenge for them this week. But first, what did you see out of the win against LSU for Dan Mullen's Florida team? Well, you know, Florida fans, as you're quite aware, TJ, they love the aesthetically pleasing win. You know, Steve Spurrier made Florida fans fall in love with gorgeous football and pitching it around the ballpark and uh, having a lot of fun. This Florida team isn't necessarily fun, but it knows that it has to win games ugly. It has to win games not literally in the swamp, but in the mud, in, in that kind of swamp. And uh, so this is a team that knows what it is, and it plays games accordingly. If you had told a Florida fan that Felipe Franks would go 12 of 27 passing against LSU and he would throw a terrible interception in the end zone, do you think they would have won? Heck no. But this Florida team found a way to do that, found a way to get more pressure on LSU quarterback Joe Burrow than Auburn ever did. Uh, this game really showed that Florida is conclusively better than Auburn uh, six weeks into the season, and who thought that was going to be the case? So this is a team that has grown up 
very quickly. That was the theme of my Florida LSU review at Florida Football Insiders published uh, over the weekend. And uh, it shows that Dan Mullen knows what the heck he's doing. And and really being in this state, there were some question marks when they lost to Kentucky. I mean, I, I always love fanatical fan bases, no matter what part of the country that you're in, where they're ready to just push everybody overboard, hit the panic button, uh, you know, just after a game or a loss or two, especially early in someone's coaching career. Well, now they go to Knoxville and win the rivalry game. They go to Mississippi State and beat his former school and look impressive defensively doing it. They now win this game. And, and Matt, it is completely turned 180. The Gator fans that I am around are talking SEC title game, college football playoff, blah, blah, blah. It's amazing. In three weeks, it's now reversed. Uh, but you have written this week in the preview mode that the Vanderbilt game, uh, for Three Dog Thursday purposes and otherwise, landmine. Difficult setting, and even when Florida's had some great teams, some good or great teams, they've had trouble in Nashville with Vanderbilt, right? Absolutely. So let's start just with the 2018 circumstances, TJ. It's an 11 o'clock a.m. game, so that's a sleepy head start. You know, that's always a time when a good team might, you know, fall out of bed the wrong way. Vanderbilt's been playing poorly in recent weeks. Probably going to be a low-energy crowd. It's exactly the kind of sequence in which a team might not be all that focused. And then you have the LSU hangover effect and then also the Georgia look-ahead effect to the cocktail party. So all the ingredients are there for an ambush. And then you layer on top of that, as you referenced the past. You know, Steve Spurrier's 1996 national championship team Easily its worst performance of that 96 season was at Vanderbilt, won by only a touchdown. The 2006 national title team under Urban Meyer, exactly 10 years later, won by only six points uh, in a very close game. The one really good Will Muschamp team, the 2012 team that went to the Sugar Bowl, led Vanderbilt by only seven points, 24-17, with three minutes left in regulation before a late Jeff Driscoll touchdown. So Florida's best teams over the past 24 years or so have struggled at Vanderbilt. And then you have this team, which is much more limited than those teams were playing at a sleepy head start time. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it definitely has ambush written all over it. So Dan Mullen has to pound his players over the head with a two-by-four and get them to realize what they're walking into in this game. Okay, well, and, and look, it's a Vanderbilt team that got beat, beaten down badly by Georgia last week. Uh, South Carolina also handled them in Nashville, too, but they played Notre Dame tough earlier in the year. They have a win over Nevada. They have a win over Middle Tennessee State early in the year at home. And I'm with you, dangerous game in the Music City uh, let's just keep an eye on that one on on Vanderbilt and uh, Florida. And and one more out, out of the state of Florida, the Miami-Florida State game from last weekend. You wrote about that one leading in on FloridaFootballInsiders.com. From a national perspective, do you believe the respect is there right now for the Hurricanes uh, coming off of this win as one of the better teams in the ACC, if not college football? Is it there for you? Do you believe it's there? Not at all. Not at all. And, and this is especially the case, TJ, because of that disputed touchdown, which was taken away from Florida State. You know, if you, if you at least, if the Hurricanes had made their comeback in a cleaner, less controversial way, and of course, you know, it's not their fault that the ACC 
made what appeared to be a bad call. But nevertheless, uh, there are some comebacks which are just dominant. And there are some comebacks which, you know, are littered with uh, little bits of fortune along the way. And Miami's comeback fits more into that latter category. You know, Miami, to its credit, did what it had to do down the stretch in that game. But the the Hurricanes nevertheless needed a few jump starts. And so uh, Miami needs to handle its business at Virginia in a game which also looks and feels very dangerous. Um, if, If Miami loses at Virginia then any notion that the Florida State game was the sign of a turnaround is going to go poof in an instant. So Miami really has a lot of work to do. I was not very impressed with Nikosi Perry, uh, the, you know, the backup quarterback that people were clamoring for Mark Rick to put into the lineup. I mean, he, he did eventually lead the offense well at the end of that game, but for the first 2.5 quarters, um, he, he was not a very impressive player. So he needs to play complete games now. And that team needs to, you know, uh, acquire a different identity in the month of October. And then as we enter November and the championship home stretch, then we can talk about Miami in a different light, but not now. That's the voice of Matt Zimmick. I love his insight. You can follow him on Twitter, at Matt Zimmick. Great college football insight writing. He's with me here on Three Dog Thursday. I will get an underdog prediction from him coming up in a moment or two. He writes with FloridaFootballInsiders.com, some different commentary on college football. You also have a Patreon page, too, where you write across the board on college football. Plug away on that real quick. If fans, I love hearing you talk but if they want to read uh, a, a great uh, a bit of insight from matt on a regular basis you have a patreon page as well plug away sir yeah so patreon.com slash zemek z-e-m-e-k that's my last name and uh you know i try to write about schools other than the florida ones since i write about the florida <laughs> ones at, uh, florida football insiders so i write a lot about the pac-12 since i live in pac-12 country you know born in arizona live in seattle right now you know, lived in the West all my life, so a lot of focus on the Pac-12. I'm going to write about the Washington-Oregon game that you and I are going to talk about in a, in a little bit. Uh, today I have a piece up, today being Wednesday while we're recording this podcast, today I have a piece on the Wisconsin-Michigan game Saturday night, and I'm really struck by the, the, the fact that Michigan opened as an eight-point favorite yep. in that game. I, I'm really... Yep. Cannot well, don't, believe well, that look, Michigan is getting that I, level I gotta of interrupt. respect. You don't know this because I was just talking about it before you came on. I love Wisconsin here. When I saw that line and Wisconsin knows they've got to keep winning after the loss to BYU, I don't know how good Michigan really is. I love that line. I love the Badgers. I don't know about you, but I'm anxious. I'm anxious to yeah. see this one Saturday night, Matt. Against the spread, I mean, you know, Wisconsin might not win outright, but against the spread, that's an irresistible choice for for Wisconsin. Um, I, I I don't know if you talked about this on last week's Three Dog Thursday, but a week ago, Boise State was a 15 point favorite against San Diego State, and I know that San Diego State was missing two of its starting skill players, but if anyone has watched the Boise State San Diego State rivalry, especially in Boise over the past several years when Rocky Long has coached the Aztecs, people should know that San Diego State's defense solves Boise State's offense in Boise, and that's exactly what happened. So there are a few lines that really seem to deviate from any genuine understanding of recent history, and this week that Wisconsin-Michigan line uh, definitely fits the bill. How about that? How good is Harbaugh's team? And this starts a real stretch, as I was saying before, that they have to play Wisconsin, they have to play 
at Michigan State, and then they have to play Penn State in three consecutive games. We're going to find out a lot about Harbaugh's Wolverines over the course of the rest of October. Uh, that is for sure. So again, go to patreon.com slash Zemeck, Z-E-M-E-K, to read more about those. And you kind of alluded, you I, I, I was curious about an underdog, and you couldn't wait. You were salivating. You were like Pavlov's <laughs> dog with the ringing of the bell. You wanted to say to me immediately about a Pac-12 underdog. Who is it? It's got to be Oregon. And, of course, I say that here in Seattle where the locals call the Huskies the dogs. You know, Don James, the legendary Washington coach uh, who, was, who mentored Nick Saban at Kent State in 1972, uh, he's called the dog father. So there are dogs up here. But, yeah, I'm going like Pavlov's dog uh, after the Ducks as a tasty underdog choice. If you recall, TJ, a year ago, USC played Texas at home, you know, that overtime game at the Coliseum in L.A., and then had to play at Wazoo, Washington State, on Friday night the very next week. So that was a case of the Pac-12 not protecting its bell cow, one of the teams uh, favored to win the conference, one of the teams that had a realistic shot at the college football playoff. Well, here we are a year later, and the same thing is happening. Washington had to play at UCLA last weekend and now has to fly back home and then has to make another road trip to Eugene, all while Oregon is sitting there relaxing after an off week. So the Pac-12 has once again set up one of its conference favorites to fail, and that is a big piece of why Oregon, uh, in my mind, is going to win outright as a four-point dog against Washington the other part of it is simply that Justin Herbert is playing much better than Jake Browning at quarterback. And Washington has not faced a particularly skilled quarterback to this point in the season. And what Herbert offers is a world better uh, than anything Washington has faced so far. And that's going to be a tough adjustment for the Huskies' high-quality defense to make. Love it. Uh, and by the way, you're you're closer in proximity than I am because I'm all the way here in Florida from where Eugene, Oregon is. And Mario Cristobal is the former coach at FIU and uh, was with Nick Saban. Speaking of Saban as an assistant at Alabama before he came with Willie Taggart out to Oregon, eventually named the interim coach when Taggart left for Florida State. I, I, I Look, I, I think I've gotten past it, but I had Oregon on Three Dog Thursday against Stanford. And Matt Zimmick, all they had to do was kneel on the ball a couple of times to kill the clock enough to win the game, and they fumbled. Will you do me a favor? If they are winning this game with Washington, will you go ahead and hop in your car in the second half and drive south as fast as you can with a bullhorn like Jake and uh, Elwood Blues and just blare the bullhorn, kneel on the ball. Kneel on the ball if they're winning late for Three Dog Thursday purposes. Uh, you know, at the end of the Stanford game, I tweeted in all caps, Neil, mm. Neil. And, and it's worth noting, by the way, since we're talking about this, that in 2014, Washington led Arizona in a similar situation, and Chris Peterson did not kneel the ball. Washington fumbled. Arizona recovered, kicked a late field goal, and that's why Arizona won its only Pac-12 South title in 2014. So, both of the coaches this Saturday have been victimized by not kneeling late in games. When you have the lead and the clock is rolling and the other team is almost out of timeouts or out of timeout, kneel on the ball. 
plays Neil on the ball. This man knows that. Again, uh, follow him at Matt Zimmick on Twitter. Love his work. He'll be writing, and he's already written. Check it out, FloridaFootballInsiders.com. He's written about the Gators. Will they find, as I like to say, the coffee table in the middle of the night in the dark uh, at Vanderbilt? We'll see if that is the case. And again, this man likes Oregon against Washington in the Pac-12. Did I leave anything out? Are you all good, Matt Zimmick? I appreciate you hopping on on Three Dog Thursday. Uh, I, I am all good, and I just want to make sure listeners know to catch TJ's uh, videos each week, previewing uh, the action in college and professional football. you got to make sure to do that, listeners. Yes, check it out on Florida Football Insiders, where you can see actual moving pictures of how little I know in advance of these football games. So yes, free plug. Again, Florida Football Insiders is where you find Matt. Also, patreon.com slash Zimic to read more about him. Uh, promise me again that we get another chance to talk to to some college football once the CFP rankings start coming out and much more. I'd love to have you back on Three Dog Thursday and we're watching for Wisconsin and we're watching for Oregon as underdogs, sir, right? Absolutely. Those are our dogs on Three Dog Thursday, baby. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. I have been touting that we're going to get some knowledge right now on all fronts, not just the football that's on the field, but these guys are nonstop, 52 weeks out of the year, thinking about and talking about the NFL draft. Love the insight and the analysis. The Draft Network is where we now find Joe Marino and his colleagues. Good to have you. Good to talk to you again as I have you back here with me on the air and on Three Dog Thursday on this podcast. How are things as we're now into October in the football season? Uh, you, you guys are in full swing evaluating and checking everything out right now, right? Absolutely, TJ. Thanks for having me. The, the Draft Network is uh, really a fun place to be because we make this uh, this discussion last the entire year, and there's so much ground to cover, so many young players to talk about in the NFL and rising uh, NFL draft prospects that there is just uh, a ton to talk about every day, and we're doing it. At the draft network. There's no doubt about that. Okay, so one thing to hone in on here, everybody loves the quarterback and the quarterback play. If I say to you, I know Tua's getting all the attention at Alabama, give me the Joe Marino, this may not necessarily be everybody's opinion at the draft network, but give me the Joe Marino top two, three names right now that have stood out through five, six weeks of the college football season at the quarterback position. What would you say? The guy that's really, I think, established himself as the top guy right now is Justin Herbert from Oregon. Now, he's a, he's not a senior, so we don't know if he's going to come out. And there is some rumblings that he is very committed to staying in school. So we'll need to see how that uh, comes, you know, that all comes together. But Herbert has just really checked all the boxes that we're looking for. I mean, he looks the part. He's big, tall, has a big, strong arm. But his accuracy this year has just been so impressive. If you watch the Stanford game, you saw a guy that was just pinpoint to all levels of the field, throw, making throws with progression, and just really confident in what he can do. I, I've really, really been impressed with Herbert. I think he's entrenched himself right now as QB1. Another name that comes to mind is Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. Uh, he has really popped, and he's a, he's a guy that is one of those pure pocket passers and has really good accuracy to all levels of the field. The thing about him is he's a redshirt sophomore, so he's young, and we haven't really seen a bunch. And so, you know, we want to see him get tested by some of these better big Big 10 defenses, which will happen here over the next few weeks, and see how he really handles pressure. I thought he did well against TCU in those moments, but then against Penn State, there were some some moments where you could tell that his poise was maybe questioned. 
And so, uh, you know, I want to see him continue to show more to cement himself in this discussion. Now, after those two guys, it really it's really wide open in terms of where this quarterback class is right now. If you made me pick a QB three, I'd probably side with Will Greer right now from West Virginia. Now, he's got some issues. He's a little overzealous. There are times where he, he is just willing to try to force that football into places it cannot go. But you really like what he can do in terms of ball placement, spreading out the field, uh, identifying matchups and, and hitting guys in, in, in stride, but you want to see him be a little bit more, uh, not as reckless with the football, if you will. So those are my top three guys as it stands right now. Hey, Kyler Murray led the big stirring comeback, and I've already been sticking my chest out before you came on the show that I had Texas last week, although I was sweating the 21-point rally by Oklahoma in the fourth quarter, led by Kyler Murray, uh, their quarterback. Eventually, Texas wins the game on the field goal at the very end. Give me some analysis on Murray and the mix. Does he need more seasoning? I know he's got a baseball career potentially with the Oakland A's. What about Kyler Murray and translating to the next level? You know, the thing about Murray, he's been so fun this year. He's made a lot of dynamic plays with his arm and with his feet. I mean, he's got a lot of uh, exciting ability with his arm. The thing is, I don't know that anybody's taking him seriously right now as an NFL prospect, given what he's already kind of – alluded to with baseball I and mean, he's like a top 10 baseball draft pick. And, you know, he's a guy that's under 5'10", under 180 pounds. And you know, those guys just don't play quarterback in the right. NFL. So his physical right. limitations are really going to, it should push him towards that baseball route. All right. A, a fun one. Cause everybody gets so hyped about the quarterbacks. We're six weeks into the college season. You guys are doing the evaluation. Give me the Joe Marino opinion. Again, not the draft network overall opinion. Give me a player that has just stood out and wowed you that's not a quarterback. Do you have one right now? The guy that stood out and wowed me, uh, you know, this defensive line class is so, so stacked. And the guy that I think has just done so well for himself is actually a Florida guy. Uh, Well, from the state of Florida, was a Florida guy, Gerald Willis, (laughs) a defensive tackle. Uh, He was at Florida originally, and then he transferred to Miami. He's had a slew of of off-the-field issues. But uh, when you when you start following him about the beginning of 2018 through the spring and what the coaches are saying, what Manny Diaz and Mark Richter are saying about him in terms of how he's really made a 180, and then it's it's just going up. He's got like 12 tackles for loss in, in six games, and he is just unblockable at times. And I'm seeing a really, really polished football player that's explosive. And you know these NFL teams are hungry for interior penetration. Well, Jared Will- Gerald Willis is really doing that. And so for a guy that I think has really helped himself, has really changed the narrative surrounding him and making big-time plays for, for a, you know, a team that's right there in the mix for the ACC, I'm going to go with Gerald Willis as my biggest riser. Interesting so name there. And, of course, they've had such a lineage of, uh, of Jerome Browns, the late Jerome Brown, and Russell Maryland's and Warren Sapps and defensive tackles that have been at Miami. So – uh, we'll see about Gerald Willis and, and his foray. Another fun one. Alabama every year seems like, good gosh, they've got six, eight NFL prospects on their team. If I say to you, give me another team that's really got NFL talent right now that you watch in college every week, maybe he's got four, five, six NFL prospects. Who is that team and why? Yeah, there, there's so many names that come to mind here, so many different directions that I can go with this. But I want to kind of give a team here that uh, maybe many people don't know. And I want to mention the NC State Wolfpack, ah. the team that's undefeated right now. See, I right would have bet, let undefeated. me stop you, I would have bet like a 100 bucks that you would have said Ohio State because year in and year out they got a bunch of guys getting drafted or or maybe somebody along the lines of Michigan or you. You're going to go NC State. That's juicy. Tell me more. 
I want to bring a new team to the table. And so there's some players I love on this team. Their headline guy is Kelvin Harmon. He's a wide receiver, a big alpha target. Reminds me of Devontae Adams. He's a guy that I think has first-round potential. They've got a couple offensive linemen in Garrett Bradbury and Tyrone Prescott, a couple of seniors that really look like they're going to be solid NFL starters. Their quarterback, Ryan Finley, is an interesting guy. I don't think he's like a first-round guy, but a guy that will have an NFL career. He's exciting to me. Jacoby Myers is another wide receiver that they have. He's a quarterback that's a converted to wide receiver, and he is making big plays. He dominated Clemson and Florida State last year. He's having some big games already this year. So I love that on the offensive side of the ball. And then defensively, they have a corner in Nick McLeod. They have what I think is the ACC's best linebacker in Jermaine Pratt. And they got a couple guys on the defensive line in Darian Roseborough and uh, Laurel Murchison, who I think can play. So I, I wanted to bring a new team here to the mix because I think people expected to hear Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, something like that. But don't sleep on this NC State Wolfpack. They're, they have a bye this week, and so does Clemson. But then they go, go to Clemson next week in a, in a big-time game of two undefeated ACC teams. And if I'm not mistaken, they gave Clemson all they could handle a year ago. Yeah, 38-31. Whatever it's yeah. worth, whatever it's worth is last year to this year. So uh, we'll see. Very interesting there on NC State. Again, we talk with Joe Marino for a few more moments. It is Three Dog Thursday. I might even sneak an underdog prediction out of him. I want to let him plug everything with the Draft Network and their analysis of the guys that do a great job there. Now, you also dabble into the pros and write some about the pros, and, you, and you're a Buffalo Bills guy, and the Bills snuck a win, their second win out. They snuck a win over the Titans last week. So Joe is gloating. I can't see him, but he's smiling about his Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Now look, even you are going to have to admit, under 100 yards passing, kicking field goals, it was not a Picasso last week, but you take the win. But you've been evaluating Allen's progress right now with the Bills, too, as an NFL quarterback. So what about that? Yeah, I, I don't think his progress is going well, to be honest with you. I'm pretty surprised that Buffalo has been able to get two wins in four starts out of a Josh Allen quarterback team. And it really comes down to some really outstanding defensive performances. And then the rushing attack has really been opportunistic. And Josh Allen's made some plays with his feet that helped them beat Minnesota and Tennessee. Uh, Josh Allen is a very raw quarterback. We knew that coming out of Wyoming. And, and the Bills knew that when they drafted him. But he has exceptional physical upside. And so the Bills really banked on their ability to develop him. And so I recently put on a piece for the draft network about Josh Allen and how his issues extend beyond a very underwhelming uh, supporting cast. And there's been so much said about a really poor group of wide receivers and, and a lackluster offensive line. But, but the thing about Josh Allen is I, I, play, I gave plenty of examples in how his lack of development in terms of his mechanics, ability to read the field and, and accuracy have limited the supporting cast more so than the supporting cast has inhibited uh, uh, Josh Allen's ability to develop. So they're a player that Buffalo is finding. Uh, Josh is a player that Buffalo is finding ways to win with. And I give a lot of credit to Sean McDermott and his staff. And, and they've really squeezed a lot out of this roster over the last two seasons with, you know, them going nine and seven, going to the playoffs last year and finding a couple wins early this season. But uh, they're going to have to find ways to win with Josh Allen because I think he needs a ton of work. But that's not anything that should be unexpected. We knew that coming out. But uh, it's going to take some time. Josh has to play through his struggles and get coached through them and, and really take a lot of step forward to be the quarterback that he needs to be as a top 10 pick. Joe Marino with me for a couple more moments on Three Dog Thursday. And, of course, all the rookie quarterbacks that were taken in the top 10, including Josh Rosen, including uh, Sam Darnold, although Darnold with the Jets basically turned around and handed off 
uh, last week to Crowell and to Bilal Powell, who took off running against Denver. Uh, and even Baker Mayfield, without getting a touchdown, just like Josh Allen, he found a way to get them the uh, the overtime field goal to beat Baltimore. So all the rookie quarterbacks were 4-4 four for four last week, 4-0, starting their games uh, from a week ago. Um, all right, before uh, we, we go any further with you making an underdog prediction, tell the fans more about the Draft Network. Plug the site, your colleagues, real quick, go. Yeah, Draft Network, it, it is a – we were really trying to challenge the status quo with how the NFL draft is covered, and we're making this thing a 12-month-a-year discussion. Uh, we are breaking down uh, NFL rookies and young players. We're telling you all about the rising NFL draft class. We've got a great team, John Ledger, Kyle Krabs, Trevor Sikama, myself, Ben Solak. We've got Brad Kelly. All of us are working hard. We're putting out on average seven pieces of content, and we're not talking – 150 words. We're talking about thorough analysis. So if you want that type of stuff all year round, we've got it for you on the Draft Network. We've got some interactive features coming here in the next couple of months, a mock draft machine where you'll be able to go and, and simulate a mock draft. You can be the GM of your favorite team and make the picks. And we've got to build your own big board. So you can insert your own NFL draft rankings into the mock draft machine and make your own picks based off of your big board. So a lot of exciting interactive features to complement what we're doing uh, with the written content. I love it. As if I don't have enough going on in my life, I now need to go and be the mock draft GM on the draft network and on the website. And you guys do a fantastic job. All right. Do I sneak an underdog prediction out of you out of all of the college games? We're going to talk NFL games with our uh, senior handicapper from VegasInsider.com, Kevin Rogers, in our final segment. You you can have the buffet, as I like to say in front of you, college or NFL. Do you have an underdog that stands out for this weekend and why? The one team that I like, Duke, plus three. They're at Georgia Tech Ooh. this week. Duke is a team that uh, they, they snuck into the top 25 a couple weeks ago. They had a, a disappointing performance against Virginia Tech that bumped them right back out. But I think this is a really well-coached football team. They've got a really exciting young quarterback in Daniel Jones. He has some weapons, and I know that David Cutcliffe is going to have that team ready offensively to score some points on a Georgia Tech defense that I believe can be had. Obviously, the thing with Georgia Tech is they run that option offense, but uh, Duke is used to playing them. They play them every year. Last year, Duke was able to beat Georgia Tech 43-20, to and they have a couple of really good linebackers in Ben Humphreys and Joe Giles-Harris. Those are going to be the keys to stopping that dive, and they're athletic guys that are willing to play into the line of scrimmage. They have experience playing against the option. They played Army earlier this year which is a big deal. So it's not their first exposure to the off, uh, the option offense. They played Army again last year. So they played their their share of these option offenses. They're familiar. They're not to stop them. And I don't think that Georgia Tech can stop them on, on defense. So give me Duke plus three all day long over Georgia Tech. I this love set. it on three dog throws. Now, I rode Georgia Tech against Clemson, and what a horrific mistake that was at home at Grant Field. <laughs> You're now going the other way with Duke getting the three points. We'll see what happens. Joe Marino, a treat to be back with you. Promise me that I can speak with you again in a few weeks when we start evaluating more of these college prospects and we start getting closer uh, to draft time after the season is over with. I enjoyed it today, and thank you for even sneaking an underdog in with me on Three Dog Thursday, sir. Anytime, TJ. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We do roll along, and it's time to talk a little pro football. We thank our guests for being with us, uh, including Joe Marino from the Draft Network with us there in the last segment on Three Dog Thursday. He does, he does back those Buffalo Bills to an extent. And how about, uh, Kevin, we gave the stat. The rookie quarterbacks went 4-0 last week. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen all winning their game 
uh, last week. So good for the Rooks on that when you talk about the evaluation process of the college players and becoming NFL players. Um, so now we turn to the NFL. You and I each will have an underdog. We've already taken two college underdogs on Three Dog Thursday. Before we get to the picks, Drew Brees passing the all-time yardage record of Peyton Manning Monday Night Football with the bomb to Traquan Smith, the great night, the blowout win over the Redskins. Uh, thought or two on Brees and the accomplishment and how they were just devastating again the other night throwing the football. What do you think? It's definitely an amazing uh, accomplishment. I mean, obviously be number one passing yards of all time in the NFL and for him to do what he's done. And, you know, obviously the story's down here about, you know, him being that close to being a Dolphin. If he would have passed the physical and, and, you know, Nick Saban ended up choosing Dante Culpepper and you saw how things went. And obviously I don't believe in the, if he was with the Dolphins, he was the same exact thing. I don't believe that's the case. I think in New Orleans it fell right with Sean Payton and all yep. the talent they had over the years and playing yep. indoors. And I just think it all kind of broke that way. But, you know, it was nice to see at least breaking the record on a touchdown pass like that as opposed to like a two-yard pass that, you know, would break the record, which is kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> you know, but we're this. It, it was a nice touchdown, and it was a good win for the Saints, you know, and now they're kind of back on track now. How would you love to be Traquan Smith, a former UCF wide receiver, a rookie? He wasn't even active the first couple of games. He's out there. He's active. His first NFL touchdown catch is the record breaker for yardage for Drew Brees. Uh, and and who knows? I mean, the records may all fall over the next five or ten years from a bunch of different quarterbacks and go back and forth and change hands. But still, you catch your first NFL touchdown pass, you don't get to keep the ball. The ball goes to Canton, Ohio for Drew Brees' yardage record in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Pretty wild uh, in that setting. And yeah, I've been in the I was in the Superdome earlier this year uh, for the Buccaneers win with Ryan Fitzpatrick going nuts throwing the ball. But that was one of those games where Breeze threw for 400 yards in the game and three or four touchdowns, and it was one of those where you were glad that the clock said zero 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 at the end of it because if he got the ball one more time, you had the feeling he was going to tie the game up. He's just that dangerous, especially in that build, building, and it's amazing to see what the success has been. He's been the one constant, just like Brady with the Patriots. Breeze has been the one constant consonant. Uh, or constant, if I can get it out, for the uh, for the Saints over the course of the last 13 seasons. They changed the cast around him, and it doesn't matter. Offensive line, receivers, running backs, they still have that success. So impressive on that front. Hey, one more. Speaking of impressive, the Rams did get the win. I had the Seahawks for Three Dog Thursday purposes last week. They did cover. I thought Seattle would win that game, and they had chances, but the Rams on the road, uh, they even lost Robert uh, or uh, Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup in the second half, two of the receivers, both to concussions. They still find a way to win on the road at Seattle. Kansas City beats Jacksonville, handled them in the defense easily, one of the better teams in the AFC, Jacksonville. And the Rams and the Chiefs are the last of the two unbeaten teams. And uh, give me a thought or two on how they both have looked at this point to get to 5-0, and Kevin Rogers. Yeah, they both have been uh, pretty excellent with, with two very good young quarterbacks. And, you know, obviously the Chiefs will have their hands full this week against the Patriots on Sunday Night Football. But they will meet in Mexico in a few weeks, which will be a, a very good game. And, you know, for the Rams, I don't care about the uh, how far the Seahawks have fallen. It's still a tough place to play. You're still facing Russell Wilson. And that was a really good offensive output by the Seahawks on Sunday. But the Rams get it done. And, you know, that's now, what, uh, two divisional wins. I, they'll be 6-0 in the division when it's all said and done. And 
shooting for that number one seed in the NFC. I don't know if, if it's as easy for the Chiefs in the AFC to get the number one seed. But in the NFC, I mean, it is the Rams everyone else, it feels like, right now. Well, they, uh, Todd Gurley, we didn't mention his name. They are just devastating people on offense. You just, when you watch their games, you get the feeling they're going to get, it's almost like the greatest show on turf, not the same with Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Marshall Falk and those guys. But you, you get the feeling they're going to get their 21, 24, 28 points every week. Can you outscore them? They're just that good right now offensively. You referenced earlier the New England Patriots of, uh, of 2007. You knew that team was going to get 24, 28, 31 points. It's just a matter of could you score with them or not. So the Rams look that good. And you point out to me we've got a game looming on, I believe, Monday night football. Mexico City, right? Rams and Chiefs that uh, I don't know. I mean, the Chiefs have the Patriots this week. I don't know that the Chiefs are still going to be undefeated. The Rams might be undefeated, but fascinating that that, that game in Mexico, uh, kind of like a little mini Super Bowl preview, maybe. Yeah, and you have, and that would definitely be an exciting game if you get uh, those two in there. I mean, you know, we normally see the Patriots, it feels like, every year in the Super Bowl, but uh, I think you, know, you get a lot of good offense from those two. Not necessarily great defense from the Chiefs, but you know, the Rams are still pretty good defensively, even the last two weeks they've been kind of lit up against Minnesota and Seattle, but uh, it still would be a fun matchup. It would be. All right, so time to get to underdogs in the NFL here. Uh, again, uh, with the buffet put in front of you, just like I did with our former guests here, you got a lot of different games to choose from. Which one stands out right now for an NFL underdog, Kevin Rogers? What do you like? You know, last week the uh, the Jets put together a dominating performance against the Broncos, and Denver has been a terrible road team. And they, I think, I thought they'd have a bit of a hangover after the loss to Kansas City on the Monday night, and the Jets pretty much killed them. Now the Jets get the Colts at home, and everyone looks at the Colts as a team that just lost to New England on Thursday night the week before. They're all beat up, and pretty much it seems like they're done. Now the Colts still have Andrew Luck. And he's throwing the ball all over the place right now. This is a Jets team. I don't know if I could trust them to win again, uh, back-to-back weeks. And, and Sam Darnold, you know, he's getting better, but still, you know, he's got a long way to go. The Jets had a couple of long touchdowns in that game last week against the Broncos. Again, they caught Denver in a really tough spot in that game. And I think with the Colts having a few extra days of rest, they did hang with New England for a bit before the Patriots opened that up. They're not facing the New England offense this week. They really aren't. And, and this Jets offense hasn't been great by any stretch overall this year. So I think the Colts can – forget about hanging with them. I think the Colts can definitely beat the Jets in the road. Well, we were joking with Joe Marino in that last segment before I brought you back on. For Sam Darnold, it was turn around and hand off to Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell and just let them take off and run. And the Broncos did a terrible job of trying to tackle those guys. So let's see if the Colts can get some kind of run game going as a follow-up to that. Uh, and you will take the Colts as your underdog. I made mention that Jacksonville had a rough Sunday last week against Kansas City on the road, the Chiefs humbling them, and even though Blake Bortles threw for a lot of yards, uh, he didn't really throw for much when it mattered. He threw four interceptions, as it turned out. Kansas City won easily. First game that Patrick Mahomes did not have a touchdown pass last week, but he still threw for 300 yards. They won the game. So Jacksonville took their first loss, 
And now they go back out on the road. And this matchup now coming with the Dallas Cowboys. I know the Cowboys had the tough loss the other night on Sunday Night Football in Houston. Looked like they were going to have a chance to win that game at the end of regulation. Couldn't get in field goal range. They were on the fringe of field goal range in overtime. Jason Garrett elected to punt. Went all conservative on fourth and one. Like at the Jacksonville 42, or I'm sorry, the uh, Houston 42-yard line. Elected to punt and play field position. And Houston drives down and they get the field goal. I, I like the Cowboys, though, coming off that tough defeat. I, I know it was a hard-fought game last week. I think Jacksonville's still reeling. We now know again, no Leonard Fournette. They've already announced that he's out with the hamstring injury. I like the Dallas Cowboys here getting three points at home. I know the Jags' defense is good. I don't. I, Blake Bortles just does not impress me, especially on the road. I know he played well at home against New England without Fournette, but not on the road here in this setting. Cowboy defensive line will get after him. Uh, I like Dallas in this situation for the outright win. I'll take the Cowboys and the three points here for Three Dog Thursday, and uh, we'll see what happens in that matchup, AFC versus NFC. And and for the, the Jags, again, they're playing a little bit better schedule this year. They're playing the first-place teams in the AFC. They're playing the NFC East that includes the Cowboys here. It includes the Eagles in London in a couple of weeks. They play Kansas City. Uh, last week, a first-place team that beat them. Let's see what they can do with the Cowboys in this matchup at AT&T Stadium. All right, so there we go with the underdog predictions. Kevin, it is a great time of the year with college football and the NFL in full swing, plus everything else that's going on. And you guys have it all covered at VegasInsider.com, sir. Yes, and uh, NBA begins uh, on Tuesday, which is uh, very exciting. LeBron and the Lakers, so you have that storyline to start this season and of course uh, baseball playoffs continuing NHL is underway really a busy time and the football college football still half a season left NFL still a long way to go in the year and you can check out all of our articles our free odds our picks everything all the time 365 24 7 you can check them out vegasinsider.com also on our twitter at twitvi and, uh, yeah, it's a very busy time for sports, and it's very fun right now. So a lot going on, and we're staying on top of all of it. Follow this man as well at V.I. Rogers on social media. Love his humor, his sarcasm. V.I. Rogers. Follow this show at Three Dog Thursday. Uh, and, again, we want to thank our guest, Matt Zimick, for being with me, college football writer. Love his insight. Again, check him out as well at FloridaFootballInsiders.com, as well as his Patreon page, Patreon dot com slash Zimic for his college football insight. Joe Marino and the guys at the Draft Network, up and coming website, thedraftnetwork.com. You can follow Joe Marino as well on Twitter and uh, and the Draft Network on Twitter, evaluating prospects. They both made some underdog predictions as well. And again, Kevin Rogers going Duke Blue Devils, Rice Owls, and the Indianapolis Colts as his underdogs. I'll take my Memphis Tigers. Go Tigers, go. The alma mater against UCF, Wisconsin and also the Dallas Cowboys as my underdogs for this week. Kevin, have a great weekend. Enjoy the football as Locktober continues in the month of October. We appreciate it here on Three Dog Thursday, sir. All right, TJ. Thank you very much. There is Kevin Rogers, again, Senior Handicapper, VegasInsider.com. I'm TJ Reeves. You found us through Radio Influence. Hopefully you subscribe as well, rate the show, rank the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Spread the word about the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. Enjoy the games. This is a Rush the Field quick fix on Radio Influence.
You like scenarios. I love scenarios. You, you like scenarios. I love chaos. You want to you wanna talk about it. What would you do right now? I'm going to ask you, Scott and Cyberberg. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Notre Dame goes unbeaten. Okay. Clemson goes unbeaten. Okay. Ohio State goes unbeaten. Mm-hmm. Alabama and Georgia unbeaten in the SEC championship game. Okay. It is a close game, maybe even a questionable call. Sure. And sure. the Georgia Bulldogs beat Alabama. Okay. Who are you leaving out? That's your four. I would put Alabama in. I, I, I would. I would have to leave out. I would. I would have to leave out either. It would depend who looks worse down the stretch, whether it's an undefeated Clemson or an undefeated Ohio State. I would. I would. But I would. I would lean towards right now. I think Clemson. But you'd have would be Notre Dame in. I. I think Notre Dame would have to get in because the, I think an undefeated Notre Dame team definitely gets in, even though they have. They would have the weakest schedule technically. I guess you could say that. Although Clemson would have a, a case okay, for that as so well. Let, 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 let me let me make let me make this a little clear. Mm-hmm. Let, let me give you this. All right. So the scenario I gave you in the SEC championship. Who does Clemson is beat in the ACC championship Clemson, game? How do they? Clem, Clemson. Runs the table uh-huh. and impressively starts blowing out people. Ohio State dominates everybody, blows out Wisconsin, okay. Iowa, whatever. Okay, so now you got Clemson in Ohio State. Got it. You've got an unbeaten SEC champion, Georgia. They beat Alabama. And so your two choices really now or Alabama, Notre Dame. Alabama and, and just lost a game. And, 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 Notre and, Dame. All right, and then you know what? In that scenario, honestly, as much as it pains me, I'd have to leave out Alabama because oh. because but here's here's the reasoning now. You would have the pure scenario which everyone would love, which is the four undefeated teams. And you would also have the argument that Alabama and Georgia was the first round of the playoffs. No, okay. So you're making these rules. I'm not making rules. I'm saying that's that's how you justify it is you say, you know what? Everyone wants the expansion of the playoffs to six teams. Well, here you have it. The SEC championship game between two undefeated teams, that's a playoff game. You win and you advance to the semifinals. You lose and you're out. Rush the Field with Scott Seidenberg and Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.